0: Well, good morning, everyone, again. Um, my name is Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, welcome. Glad you're here. And uh, for those members, it's great to see you all as well as, as again. I've been looking forward to worshiping together with you today. And I'm glad we are all here together. For those who are tuning in online, we miss you guys. And uh, let us know you're here. Let us know you're watching. And um, hope to see you again soon. Um, love that song, Run to the Father. Um, the, uh, I was going to do another verse or something that talked about how he runs to us you know the prodigal son you know when the prodigal came home the father was looking for him the father ran to him I don't mind being so emotional but God loves us more than we love him amen amen he runs to us I remember the sermon last week you know Jesus was over setting this man free from the legion of demons right What was he doing over there? Man, back at Capernaum, we're going to see all the people were waiting, looking to see him, you know, and he was having a, a major ministry. He gets on the boat, goes across, has this horrible storm, risking life and limb and property, and goes over to this Decapolis area, this one city. Why? Did he have a huge ministry there? One man. One man. He did all that to go find that man he loved and set him free from those demons and from sin so we run to him but he runs to us amen amen, amen. i don't know what happened there but uh, as i often say when god squeezes your heart it comes out your eyes so uh i'll just leave it at that if you want to find your way in your bible to luke chapter 8 we are going to continue our um, exposition um, our as our pattern um, we take a, a book of the bible typically and work way through it systematically verse by verse by verse I'm glad that we do it that way because we're gonna today it finds me preaching another sermon on faith. I think this is the third sermon I've preached on faith in as many months, and if I were to be laying out as uh, choosing my topics and things, I would probably never bring this many. But I can have confidence that this is what God has for us today because this is how it's laid out in scripture, and uh, so i I don't apologize for preaching what may seem to some a repetitive sermon. You just preached on faith. Well, God's brought it to our attention again. So whether for yourself or for someone else, we believe this is what He has for His church today. So um, let's uh, stand and let's read, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, study this passage in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40 and reading through the end of the chapter. Read along. These words should be on the screen. Now, when Jesus returned... The crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, come to you another day just thankful for it. And thankful for this time we can look into your word, be thankful for this account that is preserved for us to teach us of who you are and what we should, how we should be, Lord. So as we look into this and study, would you, through your spirit, would you speak to our hearts, Lord? Would, would I become invisible in a sense and people not hear my words, but they hear your words spoken to their hearts, Lord? And would we as your people receive that message with um, eager hearts, eager to obey, desiring to be more and more like Jesus, For the time spent here today, we pray in His name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Title for today's sermon is Faith That Works. Faith That Works. I don't know if you've ever been challenged in your faith and feel like it's just not working. It's just not working. We see examples of people today whose faith worked. Okay, So we're going to look at it and study this and see, what, what is it about this faith that works? How can we have faith that works, that's real, that's effective in our lives? I kind of stumped my kids last night. We were talking about it. I said, am I going to preach on faith again? I feel like I've taught them this. Surely... Th- this is they don't know the, they don't get the answer like this I'm wasting my time so I posed them a couple questions and I stumped them and I said well if they don't know the answers I didn't explain it well enough before at least for them so probably didn't explain it well for other people as well so let me go and try my third time and by God's grace maybe we can uh I can help us today and uh, he'll help us to understand a little bit more about this idea of faith that I think today in our Christian American Christian culture is is so misunderstood so uh um, abused and um, really just a lot of a lot of error around this idea but before we dig into the the, the meat of that let's walk through the passage here we can see and Jesus returned in verse 40 um, and as I already alluded to he's been over at the Decapolis in the region of Gadara the Gadarenes and had uh, healed the man of lesion and now he's come back they told him to leave please go away and now he comes to Capernaum in this area and now He's welcomed. Everyone is welcoming here. You're here today. I hope you're welcoming Jesus, and you hope you're glad He's here with us. I hope you're welcoming the words um, preserved for us, the message from the Holy Spirit today. I hope you're here with eager hearts, welcoming this message. I hope you're glad to be here, not here under duress. I'm glad you're here, even if it is in that situation. <laughs> but uh, I hope it's in that case, um, in the in the spirit that these people receive Christ. Um, and we see this man, Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, a religious man. And we see him in a desperate situation. He has an only daughter. Now, this was probably unusual in and of itself. People typically had a lot of kids back then. And uh, if you had an only child, it was probably an infant because you probably had another one coming along on the way. Stair steps, right? Like we have a lot of our families here are blessed in that way as well. But he had an only daughter, 12 years old. They did had, not have another child. We don't know why. But she's slipping away. Um, she's in a bad way. She's dying in fact. So he doesn't have time. You know, a lot of people hear Jesus, I'm sure, but, hey Jesus, hey Jesus, bless me, hey bless, hey Jesus, you know, and people are trying to get his attention. Everybody's pressing in on a big crowd of people. This isn't like a handful here. This is like if you've ever been like at a a concert down in the pit and everybody, you know, that's kind of the scenario I get the impression of that everybody's just crammed in together. Everybody's trying to get a glimpse and a touch and to see and and a word from Jesus. Jairus doesn't have time to wait and to hopefully catch his eye or hopefully somehow get his attention. He pushes through everyone, falls down at his feet, making quite a scene. Why? He's a ruler of the synagogue. I get the idea. Those guys were stuffy. Anybody else get the idea back then those guys were kind of stuffy? Yeah, I always thought of them as, oh, these and nows, and, uh, you know, go on my child, and, you know, that sort of idea. But he ain't got no time for that. He's not going to stand on any sort of pride. He is at his end. His only hope for his daughter is Jesus. So he comes to him, falls down at his feet, and begs him to come and heal his daughter. What's well, Jesus' response? Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. So he goes, and he start heading towards Jairus' house. And, uh, of course, we, we know, as we just read, um, he's interrupted. He's interrupted by uh, another, a woman who is also Desperate. She's been in desperate condition for 12 years. As long as Jairus has had the joy of a child in his home, that's how long this woman has been suffering from this issue of blood. Um, And we know that according to the Old Testament law, which these folks are still under, this would not only cause her to be physically you know, exhausted and depleted. Um, it would also make her ceremonially unclean so she could not worship. She could not approach people. She could not really touch people without them becoming unclean as well. So this would be a very isolating thing for her. And so for 12 years, she's endured this and she has tried to get help. She knows there's a problem. She wants to get it better. She's sought help from all the doctors that they that she could find. The other account tells us she spent everything that she had on these doctors trying to get better, but she was only worse, did not get any better. And so she comes, and she doesn't make a scene. In fact, she's trying to not make a scene because she's not supposed to be touching people. So she's, but she believes, she heard about Jesus, and so she comes to Jesus believing that he can heal her where no one else has been able to. So that's how she comes, in faith that He can heal her. And so we see that this woman who is discouraged, who is distanced from people, who is defeated you know, by 12 years enduring this thing with no help, but only getting worse and worse, desperate as well. So she comes and she touches Jesus' garment and she's healed. Now... So Jesus perceives that divine power was given to another in this healing way. And so he stops, calls out, who touched me? Do you think it's because Jesus didn't know who touched him, Moses? No, he knew. He was calling out, All right, who, who touched me? And they're like, what are you talking about? He, they don't know. It wasn't like a flash of light or anything like that. Okay, it didn't happen that way. So they're all confused. What are you talking about? Peter he was like, uh, everybody? <laughs> what do you mean who touched you? <laughs> I think everybody's touching you, Jesus. And uh, what do you mean? But he's like, no. Um, someone touched me, for I perceive that power's gone out for me. And so finally, the woman fesses up. And why does he do this? Is it to embarrass the woman, do you think? No. Why do you think he calls the woman out? Yeah, so she's going to go back and say, here's what happened. Who's going to believe her? That's kind of a crazy story. Maybe nobody. Some people, but a lot of people aren't going to probably believe her. So I think he calls her out to confirm her account. He calls her out and says, you, your faith has made you well. You are healed. He announces that. What she knew in, in herself, he declares publicly for people. He confirms the account that she'll be giving to people and then he also calms her anxiety. So, it's in love that he calls her out. It's awkward for her, <laughs> it's uncomfortable for her, but it was for her own good and for the good of those around her. So, she comes confesses up and he calms her fear and confirms calms her anxiety and confirms her account. So, hey, this day is just getting better and better, right? Jairus is is about to experience the, the blessing here. He's going to come. Daughter's going to be okay. Hey, somebody else got healed too. Man, this is great. And then what happens? The hopeful expectation turns to a horrible realization as somebody comes and says, Hey, good try, but it's too late. Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late. How do you think Jairus felt? How do you think he felt? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, just a pit in his stomach. We've all been there, right? You get some news, you get some word that something bad has happened, something that's unfathomable that you never thought would happen. Well, I'm a child of God. Nothing really bad is going to happen. I mean, you know, I'll get a tummy ache. I mean, you know, I might, you you know... Little things, somebody will get mad at me, you know, somebody will speak, say something ugly, or give me a, but something nothing really bad is going to happen. Well, this is really bad. He got that feeling in the pit of his stomach, you know. So what does Jesus do? Oh, really? Okay, well, I was going to, too bad, I was going to try to get there. Oh, well, the fact is, he's already dead. No. He said, hey, don't worry about any of that. Don't worry about any of that. You, you just believe, and she'll be well. I love uh, hearing the the story of how songs came to be, um, the circumstances and the stories that um, led to someone writing songs. Anybody enjoy that? Uh, I have a book, you know, at home that talks about many hymns of the faith that were. Written and the the circumstances, the inspiration for the song. I've never had this uh, confirmed, but I, I have to believe that this account is probably one of the great, one of the impetuses for maybe the greatest song ever written. Don't stop believing by Journey. You know, because Jesus says, "Don't stop believing." Jairus came in faith, and he's like, "Don't stop believing." Now, if you're not familiar, with it, that's not what that song's talking about, but I'm going to appropriate that. Um, and uh, but that's what he says don't fear only believe and she will be well so comes to the house the professional mourners are there we've talked about before this is how a lot of times it would happen back then um, funerals were a loud um, event in which you'd have um, very vocal mourners and instruments playing discordant melodies and things like this to to show and to commemorate you know how much they were loved the, the more uh, people you had um, wailing and uh, mourning um, publicly at the house. The, the, it was a thing of status. It was a thing of um, how much the person was loved and the deceased would be missed and this type of thing. So obviously, she was very bad off because they already had these people on standby. And so in the short time when she died, the servant came and told her they were already fired up and singing. They were already doing their thing. So Jesus comes in and is like, hey, you don't need to be crying. She, she's not dead. She just asleep. And so how do we know these professional mourners? Because that quick, they go from mourning to laughing at Jesus. (laughs) Okay, whatever. No, she's dead. Uh, I don't know what he's talking about but uh, and mocking him. But so we have a collision of ideas here, the collision of one man's idea that, well, she's dead. It's over. And then we have the collision with that of Jesus saying it's not over yet. There are times we'll we'll have situations where the things we observe before our own eyes, the things that we rationally can explain with our own mind come into conflict with the truth of what the Bible tells us. What What do we stand on in those situations? Do we stand on the shifting sands of man's science? We stand on the truth and the firm foundation of God's Word. So that's what Jairus and his wife, they do. I say, well, we're going to see this thing through. Jesus says it's not over. We're sticking with him. So they come up, takes her by the hand, calls her child arise, and her spirit returns. So those who might say, well, maybe she wasn't really dead. Maybe she was just, you know, in a coma. No, her spirit was departed <laughs> because the Bible says that her spirit returned. It couldn't have returned if it hadn't departed. So it, she was dead. Um, but the spirit returned, and she got up at once. It wasn't like she you know, was struggling to get back healthy. Immediately, she was well, standing up. He says, in fact, it's time to give her something to eat. This girl's hungry. Parents were amazed. But he charges them to tell no one what had happened, to keep it a secret. And why is this? Well, we see this a few times throughout Scripture that Jesus often tells people, you know, don't, don't spread this around. When the demons come out and identify him as the son of God, he says, shh, don't say that. The Bible never tells us exactly why, so it's left to us to sort of reason why. Um, lots of ideas, lots have been written about this. It's, it's still a, an area that's up for debate. Um, you know, I kind of, you know, su- suffice to say it wasn't the right time. You know, exactly why? Eh, we can guess and theorize, but the bottom line is it wasn't the right time for this to be revealed and to be declared. We have the revelation of all those times here in Scripture. So ultimately, there was a time for these things to be proclaimed and declared publicly. It just wasn't the time right then in Jesus' ministry, in the divine plan. You know, again, we can get into that offline if you want to debate and discuss and um, explore, you know, maybe rationalize and theorize why that was. But I think what we can say for sure is, it just wasn't the right time at that point. So, amazing story. As he, um, as he confirmed the woman's account and calmed her anxiety, we later see him calming the fear of the parents and correcting the fallacy, correcting the error that um, the servant had that is hopeless. And so we see both times Jesus makes reference to belief and to faith. So I want us to dig in on this a little bit and to talk about this because I, I, as I said earlier, I think this is a, a topic that is well misunderstood in the American church today. I think it is um, misused and abused. So it's not a difficult concept, but in some ways it is. So I'm going to post some questions, and maybe you've already got this down cold, but here we are. So I believe this message is for, for somebody. I believe it's for all of us. But the question is, what is faith? How does it work? How does it save? How does it heal? How does it work? Okay, um, I mean, we see amazing things that are attributed to faith. What are some amazing things in the Bible that are attributed to someone's faith? You got two of them right here, right? Physical healing, and then ultimately resurrection of a child. Any others come to mind? Salvation. That's how we are saved. Did you say that? Who said that? You say, yeah, salvation. That's how we apply the shed blood of Christ to our lives. Is we come to Him by faith. What else? Well, Jesus did that by Himself. I don't think people anybody did that by faith. I could be mistaken, but I don't think. I think that was Jesus Himself did it. What? Peter went out and walked on the water by faith. What does Jesus say will happen if you have the faith of a mustard seed and you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, what happens? The mountain will be cast into the sea. Now, if that's not powerful, I don't know what is. So how does this work? Is it the superpower that we wield like the force in Star Wars? All right? That you can lift an X-wing up out of the Dagobah swamp and set it on dry land? If you believe, remember Luke couldn't do it. Why? I don't believe it. Yoda, Luke Luke tries and tries and he can't. And Yoda, little old Yoda, just mmm. And Luke's like, I don't believe it. Yoda's like, that's why you failed. Is that what faith is? What? Sort of? That's what we see. We hear people proclaim this, right? That if you just have enough faith, you can do anything. You can be healed of diseases. You can have financial windfalls. You will only have prosperity in your life. If you just have enough faith, then all this can be yours. In a sense, that's what we see. Flip over if you have your Bible to Hebrews 11. And here we find what's sometimes called the Hall of Faith or the Faith Hall of Fame i going to read through some of these highlights. Starting in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. By faith, verse 7, Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed, but he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Go on down, um, verse seventeen. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promise. Verse twenty-three. By faith Moses was hidden for three months when his parents, uh, by his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Twenty-four. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing in rather instead to be mystery of the people of God. He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, in verse twenty eight, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood, so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Here we go, verse 29, "...by faith people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days." By faith, Rahab did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say in verse 32? I would time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who, these people who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. What is this power that we wield as Christians? Faith. Oh my goodness. How can we read this and not just be amazed? So how do we tap into this? Do we train like Luke did and practice moving stones? What is this amazing power? Is this what it is? Is this something that we can, if we just have enough of, that we can have all these promises to us as well? What do you think? It's faith in God. It's faith in God. It's not faith in faith. That's what some people have. They have faith in faith. It's the object of the faith that is important. It's faith in God. Let's get a little fuller picture. People will read these passages they want to stop on all that stuff. Let's see what else faith does. Pick up right where I stopped, right in the middle of verse 35. All this by faith, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You don't hear that preached too often. If you have enough faith, you can be tortured. (laughs) Who's gonna sign up for that? By faith, others suffered mocking. Yeah, okay. And flogging. Beating. Even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Might cover the ears of the little ones. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. All that's by faith too. But nobody wants to sign up for that kind of faith, right? Everybody wants the faith that conquers kingdoms, brings back the dead to life. But it's the same faith. So what is this faith? Hebrews answers it. Gives us a definition at the very beginning. Verse 1 of that same chapter. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is belief. It's a confident belief in things we hope for. It's a confident belief in things that we have not seen. It's a belief... That leads to action. Every one of these people took action by faith. They all did different things. They all did different things. Wherever circumstances they found themselves, they took the action due to their faith, by faith in God, by faith in what God had told them. So Abraham didn't just willy nilly wake up and say, you know what? I feel like God's wanting me just to leave this place for no reason. Sarah, let's go. Where are we going? I don't know. Why are we going? I just I just believe it. No, God told him. Abraham, get up and go into a land I will show you. And he obeyed God. Moses was told, stretch out your staff and out in the Red Sea will part. And he did it. He didn't just say, all right, I know what we're going to do, Israelites. I've got this magic wand here. And I'm going to... Expelliarmus! I a wrong word. Um, Partus the wayus. You laugh. It's silly. Why is it not silly? Because God told him to stretch forth your staff. Then God parted the sea. Moses' well, his faith didn't part the sea? That woman's faith didn't heal her. The power of God healed her. Jairus' faith didn't heal his daughter, bring his daughter back to life. The power of God did that. All of these things are the power of God. So what is the connection between the power of God and faith in our lives? Listen, we all operate on faith every day. We just don't call it faith. We don't recognize it as faith. I just made a little list just this morning. I got up. First thing I did, unfortunately, ordering or whatever, I powered on my phone. I didn't sit here and say, okay, I don't know what i got to do today, but hopefully this phone, hopefully I can, hopefully it's going to work. That probably won't. Well, maybe it will. An Android. <laughs> That's where I had the confidence to, to hit that power button. If it had been an iPhone, I might have wondered. <laughs> but because it's an Android, I just, I just hit the power button. I just touched it with my thumb. It read my, and boom, everything. My whole day's before me, my notes are here, everything. Boom, it's right there, I did not even thought about it. I said, faith when I touched that button, it was gonna happen, and it did. Went in the bathroom, flipped on the light switch. I didn't walk in and say, wow, it's dark in here. I don't know how I'm gonna see anything. There's that light switch on the wall. I don't know if it'll work or not. Well, left my phone in there so I don't have a flashlight, so let me try the light switch. No, I just flipped it on in face. Never even thinking, never even doubting. Have I ever flipped the switch and it didn't come on? Yes. It has failed me. Not often. Lights blown, you know, whatever. But there have been times it's failed me. Went down, reheating, I got some cold food, I wanted it hot. Put it in the microwave, hit, go. Quick start, 30 seconds. I didn't even look to see if it was working. I hit it and turned around and went doing some other stuff. It wasn't like, hit it, all right, let's make sure. Turntable working? Okay, no no sparks flying. I don't want it to explode or anything. Let me get my fire extinguisher just in case something bad happens. No, I had faith in the microwave. For better or for worse, I did. I went and got in the car, put the key in, hit that start button. I never wondered if it was gonna work or not. I have had cars that I wondered, but the car I had now, I never even wondered. Yeah, I've driven some real some winters over the years. We got back here. Rebecca doesn't wonder if the crock pot's gonna work when she plugs it in. She just plugs that sucker in. It works. She had faith in the crock pot and the electrical grid. I was gonna talk about the cameras, but that's a bad example. So I'm not going to talk about the cameras today. But you understand the point I'm making. We operate in faith all the time. There's faith in all these things that we have experientially determined are trustworthy on some level. They can all fail, okay? But we don't live our lives in doubt and fear and wondering about them. Our expectation is that they're going to work. Is it the faith that made any of those things work? Is it my faith in the microwave that made all that stuff work? No. Of course not. None of those things that wasn't my faith was the power I was wielding to work to make this amazing electronic device. It wasn't it? Yeah, it's not the matrix, exactly. right? Just everyday life. But would I be able to experience any of those things without exercising faith? No. I woke up and saw that phone laying there beside my bed and said, I'd love to see what's going on. I'd love to see if I've got any messages. I'd love to see what my family's doing, but that phone, won't, that phone won't be able to do any of that for me. And I walk away and I don't act in faith. Is it going to give me any of that message? No. I walk into the bathroom and say, man, it's dark. I wish I had a way. I, that, I've heard that light switch. I've used that light switch before, but I just don't think it's going to work today. I'm just not even going to bother. I don't have faith in it. Is it going to just illuminate? No, none of those things are going to work if I don't have the faith to act. Okay? Everything's still there. The microwave is still functional. There's still power flowing through the electric grid. Okay? But I'm not able to appropriate any of that. Okay? So in a, in a similar way, Now, no analogy is perfect, so don't hold me to it. I'm sure you can poke a hole in it if you wanted to bad enough. But in a similar way, God is the the power in these events. He is the... um, theologians like to say He would be the efficient cause. okay. But faith is the instrumental cause. The efficient cause versus the instrumental cause. Faith is the instrument by which we engage with what God is already doing. Okay, so a couple things I want to say about this. One, let me see which way I want to say this. Okay, well, number one, the actions that we take by faith when we obey God, it puts us in a position to experience amazing things. And it puts us in a mindset to endure agonizing things, as we see through that Hebrews eleven. There were amazing things that were accomplished, okay, and there were agonizing things that were experienced. They were all done by faith, all done by faith, okay. When God told Abraham, "Get up and go into a land I will show you." If Abraham didn't believe God, would God's plan be thwarted? Abraham, get up! Go! He's not going. He doesn't believe me. Oh well, I guess there's no nation of Israel. I guess there's no uh, promised people. Well, I wonder what's going to happen next. Let me just sit back and watch. No, God's plan would not be thwarted, but Abraham would not have gotten to be a part of it. Little kids wouldn't sing the song, Father Abraham Had Many Sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. They'd have somebody else's name would be in there. God's plans aren't dependent on our faith. But when we have faith in God, when faith in God drives our actions, then we are able to experience amazing things with God. As He's doing these things, we're able to be a part of it. We're able to be in that and experience that with Him. But the flip coin of that, when faith in God drives our actions, we're also going to be able to endure agonizing things. When hard things come along, that's part of God's plan for us and for Himself and for His people. We can endure that because we know that He's with us. When faith in God drives our actions, it's pleasing to Him. Okay? The lady who touched him here, was she the only person who touched him? No. But, so there were other people who were doing the same thing she was doing. The fringe of his garment. Did other people touch the fringe of his garment that day? Absolutely. Were were they have a miraculous healing? No. Do you think there were other people there who touched the fringe of his garment who had needs in their life that Jesus could have met? Absolutely. I think it's impossible that that did not happen. So it wasn't just the touching of his garment that was magical, right? That wasn't it, okay? And it wasn't his superpower of faith. But because she came in faith and touched him with intentionality, okay, that appropriated the divine power of what God wanted to do in her life for healing. So when Abraham gets up, And he goes to the land that God's going to show him. And that faith is counted to him for righteousness. Let's say there was another man in the same city and he saw Abraham getting up. Let's solve this man, Green Eggs and Ham, instead of Abraham. So Green Eggs and Ham um, sees Abraham getting up and heading out. And he says, hey, Abraham's heading out. I don't like this place much either. I think I'm going to head out too. Why? Because he is. Oh, okay. Well, it doesn't seem like much of a reason, but let's do it. Would would he have participated in the blessings that were put on Abraham, a promised land and those types of things? Would he have experienced that? Yes, because he was going with Abraham. And the blessings of God were poured on Abraham and was spilled on those around him. Would it have been counted as righteousness to green eggs and ham? No, because it wasn't done in faith. It was a happy accident that he was following along. He was not obeying God. He was following a man as following his own desires, his own intentions. Whatever is not of faith is sin. That's how clear the Bible is on it. So it's not just going through the motions. Okay, It is the purpose, the intent. And this is where God is, you know, he's, you know, he's not like us. Because we just look on what people do and judge them based on that. It's all we can do. But God looks deeper to the intentions and the, the mind and intention of the heart. And whatsoever is done in faith is pleasing to God. And when faith in God drives our actions, we display the evidence of His Spirit in our lives. That's not how we get His favor, but when we act in faith, when faith in Him drives our actions, that's the evidence of His Spirit in our hearts, it's the evidence of His Spirit at work in our lives. It's God's power. The faith is how we lay hold to it. Is this helpful for anybody? Two people? Good. All right, it's worth it then. (laughs) So wrapping up, a couple questions. Have you met Jesus? Are you here today? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? I mean, you're in church, so obviously you're around Jesus. You've been around Jesus, but a lot of people in Capernaum were around him that day. But have you met him? Have you come like Jairus and fallen at his feet and said, I'm a desperate person. I'm, I'm undone by my sin. I have no way to escape the just payment for my sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. I have no way to discharge that payment. Jesus, I understand that you died for my sin. You took the punishment that I could not endure. So we come to him in faith, believing that and repenting of our sin and following him. Have you done that today? If not, it would be a great day to, to, to take that step in your life. We'll have a time in a moment. I'd love to, invite would you to come and I'd love to take a Bible and explain more about what it means to follow Jesus in that way. Second question I'd like to ask is really personal, so please don't raise your hand. But uh, as this woman who was afflicted for 12 years with something she could not overcome, (laughs) Jonas and Audrey can raise their hands. (laughs) Um, How about you? Are you afflicted today? Maybe not with a physical malady, maybe with a physical malady, but maybe with a spiritual malady that you can't seem to get relief from. Are you struggling with sin, a besetting sin that you can't seem to shake? I put struggling in quotes, why? <sighs> because many times we say we're struggling with sin and we're just not and we're just giving into it. We're not really fighting to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Sometimes we're just sad that we're that we're continuing to give place to it. I'm reminded of uh the elephants in a circus. Anybody ever seen or heard a story of how they, you know, have an elephant in a circus, you know, largest land animal, you know, by mass on the planet currently. And uh, if you're going to put those guys in a uh, small confined space with lots of people and flashing lights and flames, and it, I, I think you'd have one major concern. How do you keep them from getting loose, right? So how do they keep those big, huge, powerful animals, how do they keep them from running away, from running loose and destroying everything? You ever see this? Hobbles. Yeah, string around the leg, tied to a little wooden stake. A little wooden stake that you or I could go pull up easily. Why does it hold the elephant in place? because he thinks it does because when he was a little elephant a baby elephant they put that hobble in the ground and he couldn't pull it loose and he tried and tried and tried and finally quit trying and so then as he grew and got bigger they kept that thing tied around his leg they kept that hobble there and he's like oh I've already tried I can't get away from that And never mind the fact he's 10 times larger than he was as a baby elephant now. And he could walk away without even trying, not even notice. He wouldn't even notice it's there. Either the hobble would come loose or the rope would snap. Either way, it's certainly not strong enough to hold him. And yet he allows it to hold him. Why? Because he thinks it can. He thinks it's hopeless that he could get away. You know, sometimes sins like that. We have a sin in our life that we've tried to get rid of. We've tried to overcome. Many of them we tried in the flesh. Maybe you tried, you know, you had struggles that you had before you were even saved. And you tried to overcome and say, oh, I, just, I just can't beat that. It's just who I am. Take it or leave it. I'm not going to be able to overcome this sin. It's hopeless. And we saw how Jesus deals with hopeless situations today. What does he say? Don't stop believing. That's exactly right. The power of faith can lift, can can set that shackle free. We just don't know it. We don't try to use it. So, what does this mean for faith today? I mean, what are these sins to be? I mean, the Bible breaks it down into categorically lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Most things can fall into that. I mean, lust of the flesh, I mean the big ones today, we got pornography, a scourge upon our nation. You look at the numbers of people, and it's foolish to think that there aren't at least a, number, a handful of people, at least in this small room, who are dealing with or, or maybe even enslaved to pornography. And if that's you today, I want to say, get some help. Some of these things you're not going to be able to overcome on your own. If something gets that deeply embedded in your mind, you may need some help to overcome that. And this church is a good place to get help. So if you're struggling with that today, then I encourage you, even today, confess that. Repent of that. Don't let it say, well, I've tried before. I just can't get free of it. Jesus says, don't stop believing. So what does belief look like? We'll get to that in just a moment. Gluttony. I think that's a common one in our society today. The satisfi- Philippians talks about, even back then, that their God was their belly. I mean, foodies and all this kind of things, you know, the gluttony, the, I mean, people live for their stomach. For the experience of, of food and wine and these types of things, you can group, uh, group together um, other controlled substances and harmful drugs and things like that as well. And then I think the uh, third one that's big is laziness. You know, the idea of just passivity, just taking it easy, just kicking back and doing nothing. Just, you know, scrolling your, wife, your life away. Not your wife away, sorry. <laughs> scrolling your life away. You know, people just sit there and not industrious at all and they just give place to this, you know, I'm just, I don't want it. My body just wants to sit and scroll and do nothing. That's not what God has called us to. Lust of the eyes. Do we look around with eyes of envy and greed, discontentment in our hearts, grumbling? Do we complain about things? Is that our attitude in life in general? Do we look around and, and wish that we had what we don't? The pride of life. Do we fear man and what they will think of us? Do we concern about our image and um, ruining it by being sold out as a Christian? Do we have fears? Fears for the future. Fears for um, the uncertainty. Do we make plans without including God? Do we go about The Bible says, listen, you're a fool if you say, listen, tomorrow we're going to go do this, that, and the other. If you don't recognize and say, if God wills, if God allows, then this is what we're going to do. The pride of life doesn't consider God in our plans. Hobbies to an unhealthy degree that become idols... idolatry, I think, is rampant in the church in America today. Things that we will not bow down to and make a shrine to, but some people make a shrine to a sports team or shrine to, you know, a hobby of some sort. And they may not burn incense and bow down to it, but they live their life for that thing. And we are called to live our lives for Jesus. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, are we struggling with these today? Do you feel defeated by these today? That woman was defeated by her condition and hopeless. And if that's the case, then I want to tell you what Jesus told that woman, or told Jairus, and his, told, her faith had made her whole and told Jairus, keep believing. Can your faith make you whole today? Do you have faith that works How do we do that? There's another kid's song that I uh, grew up with. I don't know if anybody ever heard, Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Anybody ever heard that kid's song? A few of us, the woods, yeah? (laughs) I'm sorry, homeschool, yeah. Um, It's a simple song. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. That's how we do it. By faith. I know people, oh, Carl, I've, I've, Pastor Carl, I've, I've tried, I've, sat, I've, I've even fasted and asked God to take these things away from me, but He won't. Well, oftentimes sin, the root of sin is not oftentimes a bad desire that we should have taken away. It's a twisting of a good thing. Okay, Pornography is a twisting of a good thing. Gluttony is an idol and a twisting of a good thing. If you took away your desire for food, where would we be? <laughs> you know? So, God's not always just going to take that away. Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh, and three times he prayed to God that God would take it away. I guess he didn't have enough faith, huh? No, sometimes faith causes us to endure hard things. So we can pray, we can ask God. All those things are are great steps to take. But what we see in, the again, the the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11 is that by faith they obeyed. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. What what, What do we need to obey? Listen, the Bible tells us how to overcome these things. We just need to obey. What if we take these truths, take these lessons, and we write our own hall of fame of faith with the people in this room? What if a year from now I could come back and I could say, by faith, Brittany resisted the devil and he fled from her. By faith, Andrew confessed his sin and he was forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. By faith, Alexa did not let sin therefore reign in her mortal body to make it obey his passions. By faith, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Julia. By faith, Julia allowed no other gods before Jesus in her life. By faith, Kayla made no provision for the flesh. By faith, Lucas put to death the deeds of the body. By faith, Moses let his mind dwell on things that were true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, gracious, excellent, and worthy of praise. By faith, Brian disciplined his body. By faith, Josh renewed his mind. I can go, I can continue on in the room. These are the teachings of Scripture, these are the commands of Scripture. By faith, when we believe them, We can obey them. When we obey them, that demonstrates our faith in them. Faith's not a magical superpower. We get it by hearing, by hearing the Word of God. Where did that woman get her faith in Jesus? She had heard about Jesus. She had heard about Him. See, I had faith in this stand here, and it almost let me down. (laughs) Not God. God's not going to let us down. But you see what I'm saying. I never even wondered. I was just thinking, Is this thing going to work? No, I just trusted it, but it let me down. You know what I'm saying now? Our faith comes by hearing. Are we in the Word daily? Are we obeying what it tells us to do? This is what faith is. It's not mystery. It's not mysterious. It's belief that leads to action. That's what, that's what faith is. All those lists I gave you of things I did in my normal day of life, I believed that those things would work, and therefore I acted on them. That's all. Christian faith believes God and acts on what He tells us to do. That's all. It's not a mystery. It's not, you know, a spirit, it's not some mystical force that we have to have enough of or tap into in some mystical way. Just we, we hear what God tells us. We believe it and act on it. Will you do that today? Will you recommit to that today? I hope this has been helpful for you. Is it helpful for me to articulate these things in a way that I could explain it? Doesn't we kind of have a working understanding, sort of, of faith? But when it comes down to your child is about to die, when it comes down to something you can't—that's a hopeless situation—you can't get away from. Man, we need to have these things. We need to be, have a firm foundation to stand on these things. So if you're struggling today, I encourage you. First thing, confess our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Church, do you believe that? So if you're struggling with sin today, I call you to act on that. By faith, confess that sin. And God's faithful. He will forgive us. He will cleanse us from all our righteousness. So let's make our own hall, hall of fame of faith in your family, in our church, and let's share with others. You know, what is God doing in your life by faith? We're not going to take time to do that today, but in the future, hey, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll have some time to, to share testimonies, and I'd love for us to share it in that sense. By faith, I have done this. By faith, I have done this. Let's appropriate that to our, own, to our own lives in a meaningful way. And in so doing, let's exercise faith that works. Let's pray. God in heaven, we, we thank you for the clarity of your word that, <clears throat> that teaches us, Lord, in simple ways, Lord, how we can live like Jesus, how we can be more like you, how we can have victory and overcome these things, even in hopeless situations. And so, Lord, may we... Never have faith in ourselves or even less so faith in faith. But Lord, may our faith always be in you. And as we continue to study your word, to hear your word, may you grow that faith in us each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.